Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. That was a fast video, wasn't it? Man, I thought, stop, it's already here. So how's everybody doing today? Well, that's good. Terrific. Did I hear terrific out there? Yeah, I heard one terrific. Okay, good. Just making sure of that right there. I just want to let you guys know that I didn't speak last week, but last weekend on Friday, I became a grandfather again for the sixth time. So, yeah, and I'm sure my grandson is out in the lobby. How many of you follow me on social media? Did you catch the name? Maverick. How many like that name? You know, I, I, I just, I'm used to it now. But my, my daughter-in-law said she took the baby the other day to the doctor. I guess, I don't remember what it was for. It was just normal stuff. And uh, while she's there, there were two other babies in the waiting room named, guess what? Maverick. Maverick. Has the world gone insane? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but I understand. It's a real popular name right now. So I'm, his name's Maverick. And uh, so he came a week ago uh, Friday. Uh, he's in the world. So I have six of them now. Remember when I couldn't have any? I didn't have any? <laughs> And now, what do I always tell you? Now it's like the Fast and Furious movies, my grandchildren. It's like every year, here's another one, and here's another one, and, you know, here they come. So, yeah, so it's, it's great having six, and like I always say, I can, if I'm in a department store, I can always, if I lose my wife, I know what department she's in. Makes life a lot simpler. She's in the children's department, the baby department, looking for stuff. So I want to go through that last part of this verse, these two verses we've been, I've been covering with you off and on, but Colossians 1, 13 and 14, then we'll get into the message, and... Um, I just want to hit the very end of it because I want to finish it because I've gotten all the way to there. And I want you to read these two verses with me. Would you read them out loud with me? Is that okay? Oh, okay. I didn't hear anything. So here we go. One, two, three. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now say forgiveness. Now, that's the last part now we want to, we want to cover. And um, really quickly, redemption is the idea that you and I have been purchased from the slave market and set free forever. So we've been purchased from, the slavery, slave, from slavery to sin, and we've been set free forever, correct? But it doesn't end there because we've been forgiven of our sins. How many like forgiveness? Anybody enjoy that, that reality? Yeah, good. Some of you don't. I get it. Okay. Um, <laughs> But uh, the word forgive there, it's a great word. And it simply means, in its root form, means to send it away. And so God has taken all of our sins, every sin past, present, all of them, future, send them away because we're justified. He sent them all away. And that's a very key element of what we're going to talk about today as we look today into the life of Nehemiah uh, when God does something new in you. Because forgiveness takes all of that past junk, all, the, all of our past mistakes, failures, what the Bible calls sins, and I know it's, those aren't pop, sins aren't a popular word today, but it is still a very valid, important word and should be in our vocabulary, amen? Because sin means to miss the mark, meaning you're missing God's standard. Now, so all of our sins have been sent away as a believer in Christ. So let me begin this way with God wants to do a new thing in you. About three years ago, maybe four, I started to hear this word being used a lot, um, different places. I, maybe if I watch news, which I rarely do, but if I did, you'd hear things like this, this word. And, and, I, and I honestly can't tell you that I ever heard the word before. And when they started using it, so the word is gaslighting. You've all heard that word, right? Gaslighting, you know. And, um, and when I heard it, I thought, why would somebody use that word to talk about a, lot, a lamp with gas in it? I don't understand. And so then I looked up the word, right? Has anyone ever had to look up words before to know what they mean? I look them up. When I don't know, I look them up, you know. Um, so, um, and, and it's this idea that, uh, that a person or a group of people can make someone uh, feel like their perception of reality is completely incorrect, or the way they remember something, they got their history all messed up. That's not the way it happened. In fact, you didn't say that. You did this instead of that. 
And it really tries to spin a person's head around and make them think they're going basically insane, right? And so I, when I looked it up, I thought, well, in all the decades I've, I've been counseling and counseling married couples, um, I think I've run into this a few times. In fact, I think I did it a few times with Olivia way back when. Anybody relate to that in a marriage right now? It's okay to raise your hand. You're not going to be in trouble, all right? And so I thought about that, and then I, I took it further as I thought about the word gaslighting, and I thought, well, isn't that what Satan does to us? Doesn't he gaslight us? Doesn't he try to make our perception of God and Jesus like it's not reality? Doesn't he try to do these things and spin our head around and make us think we're crazy in all kinds of different ways? And, you know, and just in case, if you're saying, well, Jim, you know, preacher, I already, you already lost me. I don't believe in this, de this devil or demons. And I go, look, okay, I, I, I got you there, but just, just, you just, you know, the reason I, I do absolutely believe in it, multiple reasons, but I'll give you a couple of them, and that is that, you know, Jesus talked about devil and demons, didn't he? He said they're real, and look, he's the guy that, the God-man who predicted his own death and how and his own resurrection, and it came to pass. If somebody is able to do that, I kind of tend to believe him, amen? And so, and since Jesus says the Father's word is truth, and there it's true. But here's one of the reasons why if you just didn't believe in God or whatsoever, just, okay, but just think about this. There's real devil, real demons. That means there's real angels. That means there's some kind of invisible kind of spiritual war going on out there, right? And by the way, did you know that the spiritual world is more real than the physical world? Did anybody know that? You know why I know that? Because the Bible says, Jesus said, that God is spirit in John 4. And if God is spirit and God is that real, guess what's more real than the physical world? The spiritual realm. Now, the reason why I believe that there are demons and devils and angels, this battle. Now, how do I know that there's been a battle? What's the one thing you look for when there are battles? You look for casualties, do you not? And all you gotta do is look around. I mean, don't we see people? Just look at the headlines. Six people die of fentanyl over here. They seize this many drugs coming across the border. The, you know, the fatherless homes is unprecedented here in America. Families breaking up. Divorce rampant. There's abuse here. All kinds of things going on. Addiction over here. Alcoholism over there. And you see all these things, and then you say, okay, there's a war going on. Any amens? Because there's all kinds of casualties, and that's all I need to do is look at the, the casualties. So there really is this thing going on. But back to gaslighting, Satan really does seem to, or not seem, he does gaslight us. And so today we're going to look at Nehemiah. You can turn to Nehemiah 2 if you have your Bible. And I hope you have your Bible or look at it on your phone because without your word of God, you really are a lost follower of Christ because this is your compass as you walk the trail of God, way, truth, and life. Now, um, I want you to take this perspective this way, that God does a new thing in you and so there's a spirit realm that's trying to gaslight you and then there's God on this side that's trying to guide you in the right way and get you to that new thing and it makes sense in my mind biblically that God does new things in our life because are we not new creatures in Christ and if we're new creatures shouldn't we walk in new ways yeah and so God's going to do new things in the new creature's life so we're going to pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11 now let me just tell you where Nehemiah is at at this moment Nehemiah is uh, he's been cupbearer to the king of Persia he's asked permission to come and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that was torn down um, well a long time ago around 586 BC but the temple's being rebuilt about 90 years before this moment. This is about, this not about, but it is 445 B.C. At this moment in time that Nehemiah comes to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So let me do some commentary, then I'm going to give you three points. And think of it, spiritual battle here, the enemy on one side, gaslighting, God on the other side. And where does the battle take place? Louder? In your mind. Okay, we're good on that right now? Okay, good. So, Nehemiah 2, I'm going to do commentary, verse 11 through 17, very quickly. And I, I love this little section here. It says, so I came to Jerusalem, that's Nehemiah talking, 
and was there three days. Now, he's traveled 1,000 miles, and he gets to now Jerusalem to rebuild the wall that's completely torn down by Nebuchadnezzar and the gang a long time ago, and uh, he, 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 he doesn't do anything for three days. Now, isn't that kind of wisdom? If you've traveled 1,000 miles, you're kind of tired. Doesn't wisdom just kind of rest because you've got a big deal in front of you? Any amens on that? Now, watch verse 12. And I arose in the what? Louder in the what? In the night, and I, I and a few men with me. No, it's not a lot of people. Not a lot of people at all. Remember, whenever you're going to do something new, you've got to keep your group to probably six, seven people. Any bigger, it gets diluted. Any amens on that one, business people? You've got to be real careful with that. Uh, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So he's riding on an animal. Notice, he goes around after three days now, he's going to go around on his animal at night to inspect the wall. I love that. You know why? That's the what. Let me tell you an application for us. Have you ever had seasons of your life, and you have, where you feel like, God, where are you? God, are you doing anything? God, do you, I, I, you exist, but I don't see you. You're not, you're not doing anything in my life. Anybody ever feel that way? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, good. So notice he's walking at night. Those are the dark times of our life, are they not? But notice Nehemiah is walking, traveling, inspecting the rubble in the dark moments. Nehemiah's name means comforter. We know the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the comforter. So he is a picture of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives in the dark times, even though we don't feel it, see it, or think he's doing it. Amen to that one? So take heart and know that God is moving in your life, even right now, when you think he's not. That's a good thing, right? Verse 13. So I went out at night by the valley gate, say valley gate, in the direction of the dragon's well. Oh, yeah. And on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down in its gates, which were consumed by fire. Now, he comes to the valley gate. Now, these are real gates in Jerusalem, but everything's broken down, but these gates are still there. And he's riding on his animal. Now, I want to show you some cool symbolism, okay? The valley gate, when he gets there, he enters the valley gate. The valley gate, as he enters it, Behind him now would be what's called the Valley Hinnom. It's the south side of Jerusalem. Hinnom, Gehenna, Gehenna, Hades. It's a, did you go with me like that? That's all I had to do to get you to respond? Well, so it's a picture symbolically of hell because that's where they would burn all the trash. So there's always smoke from there. So the picture is as he walks to the Valley Gate, the Valley Gate is the mark line where you're leaving hell your old life behind and you're walking in new life isn't that a cool thing right there do you remember the moment you gave your life to Christ and you left the past behind and you walked in new life anyone remember that the moment when the, the, the but God moment when you went from death to life mine was August 12, 1979 I've been saved almost 44 years so that's a picture of demarcation line now as he walks he comes up to the dragon's well that's interesting dragon's well well serpent snake dragon the idea or typically things were named because of something that happened in that area in the past. Makes sense, right? And so evidently there must have been some kind of snake around this area a long time ago and maybe it bit people, maybe it didn't, but somebody must have killed the snake. But there was a snake there and somebody kills a snake. Now think about that. You're leaving the past behind. You're walking a new life. You cross the line into salvation, but you also know that Jesus has crushed the serpent's head. Any amens on that one right there? So you keep on going. And then he, he comes to the refuse gate. What's the refuse gate? Well, as he's cruising around, there's a refuse gate here. And this is where people would come now, bring their trash through that refuse gate, go back to the valley, hit them, and dump their trash. How many of you take your trash out pretty regularly out of the house? Please raise your hand. Okay, good, because you know it starts stinking, does it not? And it'll pile up. You, we all take the trash out. What a great picture. In daily in our life, here's, a, here's the picture. Don't we have to confess our sins because we daily have some trash in our life? Any amens? We're walking in new life, man. The serpent's head is crushed. We got to take out the trash daily. Lord, forgive me of my sins. You know the word confession? You know what it means? It means to say the same thing that God says about it. Say the same thing that God says about it. If God says it's a sin, it's a sin. Amen. Amen. Okay, good. And then let me read on. Now he goes to verse 14. Um, then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So now he's getting to these two areas there, and the animal he's riding on, he can't walk anymore. So much rubble. 
Do you remember when you came to Christ how much rubble in your life? Anyone remember? And no, really, do you remember? I remember mine. There's a lot of junk in my life, a lot of rubble. He had to get off the beast. Now, he's come here in verse 14 to the fountain gate. This is the gate where people went through to get water. And isn't the Bible the water of the word? Yeah, and don't we daily have to come back to the water of the word? That's right. But then in this, he moves on and he comes to the, uh, the king's pool. Now, this is a cool place, the king's pool. Now, if you go to Israel with us, we're going a year from October. We're going to back to Israel. <laughs> Praise the Lord for you. You're going to go back? Okay, you're going to go back? Wow, okay, good. You're going to go back? I'm playing. So, um, so when we were in Israel, there is this tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel. You guys walked through. Did you walk through Hezekiah's Tunnel, Purette? You walked it's 1,777 feet through solid rock underground. And if you are claustrophobic, don't do it, okay? Because there's times it's only about this big, and you're walking and you're in this deep of water. Sometimes it opens up bigger. But they did this under the reign of Hezekiah 2,750 years ago, thereabouts. They went from both sides. It's six football fields. It brings water through solid rock into Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam. And so that's what this is right here. And so it's a picture in your life also that you need that water and the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. Any amens on that one right there? We need power to walk against the enemy. Now, with that said, if you get nothing else today, you could tithe on everything I just told you. Amen to that one right there. But we're going to move on now. Okay, verse 15. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. So he's come back to the gate he started because that's about all he can do there's so much rubble the officials verse 16 did not know where I had gone or what I had done nor had I as yet told the Jews the priests the nobles the officials or the rest who did the work sidebar verse 16 the nobles everybody in chapter 3 is going to join in to rebuild the wall except the nobles and they're going to try to bleed people from, for money. They're going to use this as an opportunity to steal from people. So not everybody's going to jump on board. You got some nobles that are not going to jump and do the work at all. But that's another chapter. Can't go there. Verse 17. Then I said to them, here's, he got, now he gathers all the people. He has seen it all. He sees the wall. It's a mess. I know what I got to say. I know what I got to tell the people. Here's what he says, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned with fire come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach here's the one thing sidebar I like about that he tells everyone you see the bad situation we are in does he really need to say that yeah he does it's been that way for 90 years. Don't you have things at your house or at work that have been there or sit there or stay that way and once they've been there for weeks or months, it stays that way for a long time? Anybody? Come on, wives, raise your hand. That's right, huh? When it's been that way for so long, it's like, it's going to stay that way now. Does that drive anyone crazy besides... Yeah, I mean, it just drives me nuts. And so, and so it takes an outsider like Nehemiah who's come there. They've been walking around it for 90 years and they think it's normal. It's not normal. Some parts of our life, your life and mine, are not biblically normal. And sometimes it takes fellowship from outside of us to say, you're not normal, Jim. That is not normal. It's got to be pointed out. That's why fellowship is so important. Okay, good. I won't say it that way again. <laughs> now, verse 18. No, I stopped right there. I'm sorry. I'm stopping right there. So, Nehemiah, he's come. He stated his purpose, and that is to rebuild the wall and the gates, etc. And there's so much great teaching in the book of Nehemiah. One day we'll probably do it on a Sunday or a Tuesday. It's such a great book. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. I'm gonna, I think I memorized it, so I'll, I'll just leave this. If I have to run back up, is that okay? Yes. Yes. It has to be okay. 
So here we go. Three things this morning. We're going to look at how the enemy gaslights and then what God does in our life. So number one in your notes, and that's this. When God does a new thing, expect what? Expect opposition. It's going to happen. Now look at verse 18 and 19. It says, I told them, this is Nehemiah, I told them how the hand of my God has been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to do the good work. Verse 19. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard it, they mocked us, despised us, and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Notice they start to gaslight. They start to, Nehemiah says, we're going to do this thing. It's good. It's a good thing. It's a new thing. And they say, you're out of your mind? Are you crazy? It's not even what the king said. You got your facts wrong. You got your history wrong. What is the thing you do? Who do you think you are? You think God's going to do something new in you? Oh, no, 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 no. You know what? You made that up in your head. That's not God. Now let me show you how God, I'm sorry, how the enemy gaslights us. Can I show you the spiritual warfare part? Yes or no? Yes. Let me show you his methodology because this is how it works. Remember, there's this battle going on. The enemy's getting in our head. he got the Holy Spirit and it says, okay. He says, what do you think you're doing? Doesn't the enemy tell us when God's going to do something new, doesn't he say, uh, wait, wait. Remember what you did three years ago? Remember your life before Christ? Oh, you backslid two years ago. Remember what you went back into for five months? You know what your sin is. You know, you, are you kidding? You are not good. No, God's not going to do something new in you. See, what you need to understand, what you can't understand here in the story is, in chapter 1... Nehemiah, before he comes to Jerusalem, he confesses the sin of the people. The reason why the walls torn down and the temple was torn down, now rebuilt, is because they sinned against God. Zedekiah, the last king, he was the main culprit. They sinned against God. And because of that sin, everything was torn down. And they all know this, they know their history. And so when the enemy comes along and says, Come on, you know your history. You know what you've done? No, no, no. Let me, let me show you. Can, can I just show you something? Can I give you a dumb Jim Dalcampo illustration yeah. to show you how crazy you and I can be at times? Okay. So I was in high school. This is like 10 years ago. But <laughs> I was a basketball player. You're going, you're kidding. No, I really was. I was a point guard. And uh, I used to have really good handles, too. Now, if I dribble, it just rolls away. <laughs> and um, this, anybody who played sports, how many played sports? Like, did you ever have a game where everything you did was right? Raise your hand. Did you ever have a game like that? I had a game like that. I, it was a soft, I think it was a soft, maybe it was a junior, I can't remember. I mean, every, that first half, everything, I mean, every, every shot, Steals, defense. I mean, I was right places for rebounds. I'm point guard. It was incredible. I couldn't believe it. Halftime, my coach in front of all my teammates, he, man, he's telling me, man, Jim, that was the greatest half. He's building me up. And I'm like, yeah. I go on the second half and it continues. I mean, I'm playing like, this is amazing. But along the way, I'm picking up fouls. Because, you know, I'm being super aggressive. And then in the fourth quarter, I'll never forget, Corona High School, the old gymnasium, I think I have a new one now, where you walked in, here's the rim, I'm playing down here, some guy pump fakes in the corner, and I jump up and I land on him. <laughs> Foul number five. I'm out. I go jogging to the bench. I sit down. When you know you're not going back in, you sit on the bench and you lean back, don't you? If you're hoping to get in, you lean forward. How many know that? The coach is here. I'm here. I'm leaning back. 
My coach is here, and he leans back. I'm leaning back. He looks at me. I look at him, and this is what he said. Expletive del Campo. <laughs> he used an expletive to describe my game. Del Campo. Now think about that. At halftime, he told me I was the greatest player in the world. I was doing everything, I mean everything. But here's what we do in our mind. That one moment in time where we mess up, it's like, don't we nullify, this is, I'm speaking to you and I now, don't we nullify all the good we've done for God in our life? Don't we do that to ourselves? Doesn't the enemy do that to us? Doesn't he take that one thing or that one season and say, you can't because you were this. And we sit there and we forget every, how we've been living for God. Have you ever noticed that? That's what the enemy does. So he does to everyone. He gaslights us. You can't do that because you just fouled up. Remember six months ago? Oh no, oh no. That's one way he does it, okay? Let me show you another way. In this point one, I'm still here. You want another see, see another scheme of the devil, how he operates? Okay, good. What is the thing, one of the things that they said to the people? They said, you are rebelling against the, meaning the king of Persia. Wow. Do you know, and you may not know, but now you will know, that if you went back to the book of Ezra right before Nehemiah, when 50,000 Jews were allowed to leave Babylon to come back and rebuild the temple, in chapter 4, you will find that the people who did not want the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt sent word back to the king saying, they're rebelling against you. This is like 100 years earlier. The king sends a letter back and says, stop the work. They're not going to rebel against me. So thing, and then eventually it was resolved, they built the temple. Now think about that. Before, they had stated, you're rebelling against the king. And now... Here in the future, in the present, now for us, they're stating what? You're rebelling against the king. What's the application? It's a repeat lie. It's a repeat lie. Now, some of you will not agree with this. I get it until you finally you realize it. But every one of us in this room, including me, we all suffer from repeat lies. Every one of us. You're not perfect, and neither am I. You didn't grow up in perfect worlds, and neither did I. You don't live in a perfect society, and neither do I. We pick up things along the way in our head. I've shared with this one with you in the past. You may think, not true. It's true. This is a repeat lie that I believe. Before I was a Christian, I got saved at 23. I really did believe, it's a repeat lie. I really believed that I would probably be married two to three times and divorced by the time I was 30. I really believed it. I mean, I said that to myself many times. I did not think you could stay with one person all your life. I didn't believe it. Well, well thank God, I, you know, I, I've been married almost 42 years now, but thank God, you know. But I, really, I remember one time I'm sitting there with one of my best friends and he kind of believes the same way. And we were on this men's basketball league, and this one couple guys on our team were about six years older than us, and we became good friends. And he was talking about how great his marriage is, and he'd been married at that time, like, I don't know, eight years. And I remember me and my buddy looking at him, looking at each other, looking at him, going, you out of your mind. How can you possibly think that this is a lot of fun? You've been, it should be worn out by now. And we really believed it. And I really believed it. And I would think this repeatedly. It was a repeat lie, repeat lie, a repeat lie, a repeat lie in my head. And then I got married. And that repeat lie started to voice itself and voice itself and voice itself. And it was a struggle for me. Those first six years were a struggle. Oh, gosh. Because the repeat lie says you can't go all the way in this thing. It was the repeat lie. And I had to fight through. I had to break through. Because the enemy was pounding away and pounding away at something that had a deep root in my life. When I counsel people, I look for repeat lies. I look for something that somebody learned as a kid, a lie. And I listen and I listen and I listen 
because it's going to pop out here in their present adult world. They think they've left it in the past. And then I say, wait a minute, you just said this. Isn't that exactly what you told me you felt when you were seven years old or 10 years old back here? And, and here's what they do. Because you don't realize how many repeat lies are in your head. And every one of them has to be uncorked one at a time. One at a time. This is what the enemy does. You're rebelling against the king. It's a repeat lie. They were never rebelling against the king. But it's a repeat lie. See, at some point in your life, in my life, continually, we have to be honest with ourselves. Because we're really good at being honest about other people, are we not? You need to be honest with yourself. We live in a culture right now, all they want to do is blame everybody else, don't they? It's just an immature culture. That's all it is. It's really a bunch of immaturity. Nobody disciplined these people, I think, at home when they're growing up. But everybody else is the problem. The system's the problem. Everything's the problem. No, take a look at yourself. Take a look at yourself. If you want growth, take a look at yourself. But the enemy says, ah, it's a, you're rebelling against the king. Now, okay, so Nehemiah is facing the opposition. The people are facing the opposite. Let me give you one more little thing that the enemy uses, point two, and that's this. God gives dreams. Beware of dream killers. Have you ever met any dream killers? They're everywhere. They're all over. The now watch verse 19 again. Let me read it to you. This is a very quick point, then I'm going to get into the answer. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? What are they doing now? They're ridiculing them, are they not? You know, someone once said that ridicule is the weapon of those that have no other weapon. That's the only thing they got. And you've always got to be careful who you hang out with. Why do you think he only walked around that wall with only a few people? Because think of all the people who would ridicule it and ridicule you, and you'll never get off the ground with the new thing God wants to do in your life, correct? So you're real careful with that kind of stuff. He was real careful. He even walked at night. You know why? He didn't want anybody to sit there and say, what do you think you're doing? That can't be rebuilt. They'll start ridiculing. And so you cannot run with people that ridicule. Now, Nehemiah is going to do something in point three. I'm going to show you what he does with all the ridicule, with all the opposition, and you and I need to do it too. Now, here we go, point three, and that is this. We have a defender. Now, we have a defender. Now, ne watch Nehemiah go into action against the attacks of the, mind, uh, of the people and watch how it works for you and I. Verse 20, now watch this. Here's Nehemiah's answer. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. This is his response. The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, God's going to give us success. We're going to build it. You're going to have no part of this at all. Bye. That's what he does. Pretty cool, huh? Now, listen closely, somebody. Because if, if you want to see God do a new thing in your life and you want to follow what God says in your life, you've got to learn to do that. Because, I, look, there's one of you in this room, you're always swayed by somebody talking you out of it or somebody saying that can't happen and you, and you believe in your, this is what God told me, oh, and I can't be. Do you know when Nehemiah tells this to them, when he says, he says, when they say, oh, you, you'll never do it, you're about the king, who do you think you are? And he says, the God of heaven will give us success. He says, but you have no part with us. You know what he just did? He says, the God of heaven will give us success by. And he starts doing what he's doing. That's called focus. Now listen. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we're not turning there, but just so you know, these same guys, they send a letter to Nehemiah. They lure, they're trying to lure him out to what's called, because they want to kill him, what's called the plain of Ono O-N-O please come and meet us Nehemiah says I love to say it this way Nehemiah says oh no okay <laughs> and he doesn't go he knows the trap but what he tells him is this he goes he says I'm not coming because I cannot leave this great work that I'm doing for God that's focus again is it not he says no 
I'm not going there. I'm going to do this. This is the focus of my life. You're not going to sidetrack me. No, I'm going to stay right here. Bye. I'm staying right. I'm going to focus. That's what successful people do. Any amens? But the enemy will always try to lure you sideways, will he not? It's okay to say no to somebody. No, I'm doing this great thing for God is what I'm doing. But here comes the enemy. He's trying to get in. Now, let me show you our defender. Can I show you our defender? Yeah, because remember, where's the battle? Yeah, right? He'll bring up the past, right? That's right. And and he'll do the repeat lie, right? Okay, let me show you something. 1 John 2, 1. It says, my little children. This is John, one of the 12 original disciple apostles. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Say advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation. Give it a shot. Propitiation. For our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Okay, let me show you something about your defender. Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. The enemy comes in your head. Do you remember six months ago? Do you remember your lifestyle before you came to Christ? Do you remember that stuff? Remember when you backslid? Remember what you got into? Don't you think that God's going to be doing new stuff in you? Don't you dare volunteer for anything. Don't you dare do that. Uh Uh-uh. John says we have an advocate. That word means defense attorney. Jesus is our defense attorney. Did you know that? Did I ever tell you that one time I hung out with Larry H. Parker? Did I ever tell you that? I did. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll fight for you. Remember that guy? I remember turning to him and saying, hey, Larry, Jesus, I'll fight for you. No, I didn't do that. Okay. Get a bit too corny. No, I did for like an hour. I was at this place where he was there. There was about five or six of us. We were taking on a tour of this grand opening of this thing and he was invited there by somebody who was a part of this and I'm going that's Larry H. Parker I'm walking around with Larry H. Parker but he's a defense attorney no he's more than that but but he is see Jesus and I'm not comparing to Jesus to Larry H. Parker okay Okay, so don't think he compared him to Larry you know no but Jesus is our defense attorney. He defends you. When the enemy says, you can't do that, remember what you did. He's our defense attorney. But the question is, how? What does Jesus use to defend us? Say propitiation. propitiation. Like it said there, that means the satisfaction. It means mercy seat. Remember the Old Testament, the priest coming in, the holiest of holies, sprinkle the blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant? Yes or no? Yes. That's right. Sprinkle on top of the ark. That's the mercy seat. That's the satisfaction. It's propitiation right there. And it would cover sins for one year. Never forgive. Jesus comes along. He is the sacrifice. He is the propitiation. And it's his blood that not just cover, doesn't cover sins for you. It forgives sins for all time. Any amens? Woo! That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes or no? Yeah. So he's our defensive attorney covers with the blood now remember they told them Nehemiah tells them I should say you have no inheritance no memorial with us here in Israel right now here's the deal what does he mean by that you're not part of us now listen remember repeat lies say yes okay repeat lies are Satan still trying to claim us is he not he's still got his hooks in us is he not Nehemiah says, you have no part of us or me. You have no claim on my life. I'm under the blood and I'm free. No more repeat lies. You have nothing in me. Bye. Any amens? That's exactly how it works right there, right? At what point are you going to believe it though? That's a bigger one, huh? That's a bigger one. Now, since all this has taken place and this is reality, 
And all of our sins have been washed away and he has no claim in us and there's no repeat patterns. There's none of those things. We're free. I'm free from all that stuff in the past. That valley gate, I look back at the valley Hinnom. That's the old me. It's not the new me. Okay, now watch who you are. Watch this. Watch this. I'm gonna speed through this, but if I was teaching verse by verse through Romans, this would be lengthy. Romans 8, 8, 31 through 37, I believe, or something like that. Now watch this. You ready? Yes, yes or no? Yes. Okay, verse one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Anybody like that? Yeah. If God is for me, in other words, like, who's against us? Meaning Satan is insignificant, is he not? Yeah. If God's for me. If God's for me, it doesn't matter who's against me, right? right. So he's for you as a follower of Christ. Now watch verse 32. Now watch. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Next verse. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who what? Say it. Now keep it right there. Don't take it away. Now, who will bring a charge? The enemy comes up and says, he says, you six months. Don't, you can still smile. It's a joke, okay? She goes, I'll, I'll, choose, I'll choose Bob, okay? You, six months ago, you did this, this, and this. Is he bringing a charge? Is he bringing a charge? Yes, but wait a minute. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God justifies, justified, declared innocent as if you never sinned. If I've never sinned and you've never sinned and it's all under the blood, it's all washed away, can anybody bring a charge against me? No. Go, like, go like that. Okay, good. They're like, I thought you had a stiff neck or something. No, no. Do you understand what I just said? All your sins are gone. They're washed away. There's nothing there. So how can anybody charge you with a crime? Did you catch that? Did you catch it? No. Verse 34, watch this. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who also what? Say intercedes? Intercedes for us. What is he? He's our defense attorney. Did you catch it? He's our advocate. He's our defensive attorney. I'll fight for you. Verse 35, who will set, now watch, with all that said, if you believe everything and it is all true what I just said, then you go to this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Rhetorically, what? Nothing. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. In other words, nothing can separate you from Christ. Nothing. See, some of you think your sins separate you from Christ. You're under the blood. He fights for you. You're justified. Nothing separates you. Verse 36. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is what's our old path. But now, in all, but in all these things. We overwhelmingly conquer. We're more than conquerors through him, through Jesus, who loved us. Verse 38 and 39. Now watch. For I am convinced. Say, for I am convinced. And I hope you are. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, meaning everything in the universe, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. See, that's one reason why I wasn't afraid of COVID. I didn't want to get it. I did get it. But death can't separate me from God, huh? When people say, well, what's God's answer to COVID? I go, nah, nah. no, I don't do that. <laughs> He already answered that at the cross. I'm not going to be afraid of anybody and kill my body. Because I'm going to be with Jesus in eternity. So why am I going to walk around in fear? Now I want to take you back to one thing. Now whenever I teach the Romans later on verse by verse, just forget I ever gave you this illustration, okay? 
and just pretend like you're hearing it for the first time because it's one of my favorite illustrations that I use. But in verse 37, this is you guys as a follower of Christ. It says, we overwhelmingly conquered through him. We're more than conquerors. This is you. I'm not up to date on the latest UFC fighter, so you've got to give me. I've got to go back a few years. But Conor McGregor, you've heard of him, right? For a while there, he was on top of the world. I'm, I don't think he is anymore, but, but he was. He's the notorious. And he would fight. He'd win, man. He was good. And when he'd win, not only would he retain the belt, but I'm sure Dana White and the company would write him a pretty good check, huh? Big check. But he takes that check. Uh, I, think, I think he's, I don't think he's married, but let's say he's married. But he'd go home with that check and he'd open the door and his wife would be standing at the door and before he can come in, she'd go. <laughs> and he hands over the check. And then she goes... See, Conor McGregor is the conqueror, but the wife is more than a conqueror. <laughs> He's the conqueror because he had to fight and win. She's more than a conqueror because she didn't have to fight and she just gets all the benefits. She gets the check. You see, Jesus already did all the work. He did it all. You just believe it and you put your faith in Him and then you reap all the benefits of it as you walk in that new life, as you experience God and see what God does. I was telling Savannah up here last thought, I said, I, I don't know how bad my life would be had I not given my heart to Christ. Almost 40, next month will be 44 years. I don't know how bad my life would be because it would have been bad. But Jesus took my life, warts and all, messed up, baggage-filled guy, and he started to rebuild the wall of my life the way he does with you. And he's the conqueror. <laughs> We're more than a conqueror. We walk in the inheritance of God. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, if we could just grasp and be, like you, Paul said, be convinced of this, these truths, how it would just radically change our lives. We're so grateful that you are our defense attorney, that you justify us. You're the satisfaction, you're the mercy seat all our past sins, all the repeat patterns, forgiven and broken. All the cycles that were bad, broken, new, good cycles put in place. Thank you, God. Now, last thought. As you sit here today, you might not be a follower of Christ. I was once in your position. But you know what? Maybe you're thinking, it's time for, the, for me to lay down my life and give it to God and follow Him according to His word. Because He can save me by His blood. By the blood He shed on that cross, forgive me of all my sins. Sin is the separator between man and God. But we have the intercessor. We have the defense attorney, Jesus Christ the righteous, who through his satisfaction, his propitiation, we can stand before God clean, clean. I offer you the salvation of Jesus this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ and you'd like to, well, we're so excited for you. Or if you backslid, you walked away, and you know you're not living it right. You know it. I don't have to tell you. You know it. But it's time to come back to Christ now. 
And don't let the devil tell you, who do you think you are? You can't come back. Yes, you can. The prodigal son came back. You can come back. So if you'd like to put your faith in Christ this morning or rededicate your life, I want you to do this thing. I want you to open up your eyes and look up at me right now. I'm going to look back at you. And once our eyes meet, you can close them, but do it right now as I look around the room. Now those who looked up at me, I'm going to say a prayer. And I want you to say this prayer after me. But you just have to believe in Jesus. Everyone here is going to say it out loud with you. You're not alone. But when, but when you say it, as the rest of us have in the past, you say it with full belief in Jesus. That he is the only God who came to earth to his creation and went to a cross to carry your sins and mine as he predicted. He died, they killed him, shed his blood to forgive us, and then he was buried, and he rose from the dead because he is the God-man. He's got that kind of power. And that kind of power is the power to change your life. So repeat this prayer after me. Everybody say it with those who looked up. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough to die for me I give you my life today take it I surrender forgive me my sins I know I'm forgiven by your blood thank you for saving me today I choose to follow you now allow me to pray for you God I pray I pray for everyone who looked up. Friend, you gotta follow Christ. From this moment on, you gotta follow Christ. You gotta you, you need to get a Bible. We have them there, the welcome center inside or outside. You need to get in church and worship. You're not gonna make it by yourself. That's that's not real. Nobody makes it by themselves anywhere. You need to jump in and be part of the kingdom of God. But know that God loves you and know that God has forgiven you of all your sins in the past. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, Amen, amen and Amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? Next week, we start a whole new series called Masterclass. It's on worship, prayer, solitude, and fasting. It's the disciplines of the spiritual life. It'll be a good series if we want to grow in Jesus Christ. God bless you. Oh, no. I, uh, you just can't wait till I forget, huh? You're like my high school coach, huh? <laughs> Find the flaw. <laughs> Here we go. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. God bless you guys. We'll see you later. Have a great day. Go get prayer. Go talk to somebody over here. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.